Well, hello, and thanks for tuning in to Ridge Church Online. I'm Dan, and if you have been tracking along with our series at all, you know that we're in the middle of looking into the Lord's Prayer, learning for us how to pray, how Jesus taught us to pray. And so if you would, whether vocally from wherever you are, or even just in your heart and in your mind, would you read along with us the Lord's Prayer as we hop into today's message? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, welcome. We are so glad that you are joining us online. And from that prayer, you know that we're in the midst of a series on the Lord's Prayer. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer and what it means. This prayer that Jesus gives that we find specifically in the book of Matthew, right kind of nestled in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's picture of kingdom life. And we are looking as a church, as a community, as a number of individuals trying to follow Jesus here in Maple Ridge or wherever you're watching from in 2022, what does it look like for us to pray in the way that Jesus taught us to? And whoever you are, however you grew up, I don't know about you, but I remember prayer feeling intimidating, right? I remember becoming a Christian when I was a teenager and, and, and just stepping into prayer, right? And prayer was something maybe you heard if, if you went to church at Christmas or Easter and, and you'd like hear these prayers and you'd hear these things and there was a lot of words you didn't understand. And I remember becoming a Christian around 13, 14 years old and for the first time really thinking about prayer really thinking about what does a prayer sound like and how should a prayer sound? And well, this is what this person's saying and this is what my youth leader's saying or, or this is what my mom and dad say when they pray and, and how do I make sure to kind of sound like them because they seem to be pretty confident in the way that they're doing it right. You're trying to make sure you say the right thing. You don't say anything that's incorrect. One of the things I remember feeling and I hear all the time when I talk to people about what their prayer life is like, particularly in a group setting, like a Ridge community or, or uh, wherever you may be and be asked to pray with or for others is, what if I say the wrong thing? Like, what if I pray incorrectly or say something that's not what Jesus wants me to say? Like, what if I mess it up? I remember when I was working at a camp and I was a new believer and I was 15, I was doing junior staff. There's this one cabin leader and every time he would pray, he would open the prayer. Everyone else would open with dear God or our father or some kind of very formal thing. He would open every prayer with, hey dad. And I remember kind of being a little bit caught off guard by that and being like, are you allowed to do that? I, I didn't know. I thought you had to start a prayer with dear God or our father or isn't there specific things and, and can you wear a hat when you pray and do you have to have your eyes closed when you pray and, and all these things that make prayer intimidating. Maybe you know or there's a person in your small group that prays these amazing lengthy prayers and, and you hear them and they've hit all these different things and they've said like 15 theological words that you don't understand and, and it sounds really beautiful but it makes no sense and, and maybe if you're like a lot of us that can make you feel a little bit intimidating about prayer. But what the Lord's Prayer does is it draws us to the core of what prayer is. See, the reason Jesus spoke the Lord's Prayer, the reason Jesus gave his disciples and us today the Lord's Prayer is so that wherever you are at in your faith journey, 
Whether you're watching and listening to this sermon today as someone who's followed Jesus for decades and decades, or whether you're someone who's just exploring who God is and who Jesus is, the Lord's Prayer is an amazing place for you to start. It's an amazing launch pad. Maybe that's saying the prayer and considering each phrase. Maybe that's what this series is, as we look at what each part of the prayer means and why it matters. I have this really distinct memory of, of when I was about 22, 23 years old, and I was starting in ministry, and I was new to it, and I was in the midst of Bible college, in the midst of seminary, and I was learning and growing and reading all these theology textbooks and all these things. And, and I remember being at one point with a small group that Jalisa, my wife, and I were a part of. And I remember um, we did a group prayer, and we were praying for each other, and, and I had been asked to close, and I, I prayed this prayer, and, and someone came up to me at the end of it, and, and they probably meant really, really well, but they came up to me and they said, Dan, your prayers are so good you pray so well, you, you pray so powerfully, and, and, and you think, and it should have been, what, what this person was saying was actually a really kind compliment. It was meant to be something that affirmed what God was doing in my life, but can I be really honest with you? What I felt in that moment was a little bit of shame, because what I had done in that prayer was not actually consider anything that God wanted me to say or, or that I was trying to bring to God. What I was doing was just performing, I was repeating these words and I was repeating these phrases that I knew sounded good and sounded spiritual and, and seemed like the right thing, but really I had been preaching more than I was praying. I had been trying to sound correct, trying to sound spiritual, trying to sound, and that's the very thing Jesus warned against and what Jonathan explained a couple of weeks ago, this idea of performative prayer. And so if you're like me or if you're like anyone, really, we, we have this tendency sometimes to, to view prayer, particularly in a group setting, as this thing that can feel incredibly intimidating. But here's what I want you to know today. What's beautiful about the Lord's Prayer is not how complicated and fancy it is, but rather how it manages to be so simple, right? 64 words if we read all of them as we have been doing these last few weeks, how it manages in only 64 words, these simple phrases, these things that we can cling to and repeat and, and put on our hearts, only these things, how something so simple can still contain such amazing beauty and such depth. That's why we can spend a whole sermon series on just these couple of verses. That's why we can take each week to look at just a few of these words. And today we're looking at the second and third petition of the Lord's Prayer as we look at who God is, what He is like, and how He invites us into prayer. We are looking at these petitions where we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this might be one of the most repeated phrases of the Lord's Prayer, right? This is one that whether you grew up in church or not, you've probably heard, whether it's in movies or in pop culture or in music or whatever it may be. And, and, and while it's this simple little phrase, right, there's so much depth there. What a gigantic prayer to pray. If you, if you actually step back from how familiar it may seem and think about that prayer, think about that request of God. God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. Bring heaven to earth. And of course, this desire for the kingdom is present in the way that Jesus teaches us today. Because contrary to popular opinion, the kingdom of God and the, was the central message and mission of Jesus' life. 
Of course, this is what Jesus teaches us to pray because what we see in the life of Jesus in the midst of all the miracles and all the amazing actions and all the works of justice and all these things, the message that Jesus came preaching was one about the kingdom of God. When Jesus begins his ministry, he begins it in this way. Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. Jesus, after 30 years growing up, working as a carpenter, living in obscurity, steps onto the scene after 40 days in the wilderness, preparing for ministry. After his baptism, comes into his ministry, hears what Jesus proclaims. Now, after John was arrested, the Bible tells us, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying this, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the inauguration. And that's the center point of Jesus's mission that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is breaking into our world. And we hear that language all the time, but have we ever really thought about it? Like, what is the kingdom of God? I remember I was, I was having a conversation with a few of our interns and a few of our young adults who were in my office and we were all just kind of hanging out one night and, and we we're talking about, okay, what is the kingdom of God? Is, is it the people of God? Like it's, it's the people who follow Jesus or is, or is the kingdom of God like heaven? It's like where we go when we die, we become like a part of the kingdom of God or, or is it like what God is doing and, and this kind of thing? And we talk about kingdom work and is this, what, what does that mean? And, and maybe this is something about Israel. I, I don't know, that kind of stuff confuses me. Maybe this is something to do with the second coming of Christ, but, but what is the kingdom of God and what does it mean and how does it operate? And all these kind of questions arise and we end up praying something, God, your kingdom come, your will be done without ever realizing what it actually means. We don't even really consider the weight of that prayer. God, we want your kingdom to come. But this is not a passive flippant prayer. None, none of the Lord's prayer is. None of the petitions in the Lord's prayer are flippant, are passive, are lazy. No, they're all incredibly specific. This prayer is radical. This prayer is revolutionary. This prayer was given to a group of disciples who knew what a kingdom was, who lived in the context of a Roman kingdom where someone had power over them where there was kings and rulers, people who held authority and power, where the kingdom that you were in said a lot about who you were and what your life would be like, where the king that ruled over you had a lot to say about how your life was going to go. And we in Canadian politics, amidst all our stories and politeness and all these things, we don't fully understand what kingdom life is like. This was not a democracy that Jesus spoke these words into. No, he spoke them in a context where people understood the weight and immense power that a king and a kingdom would have. Here's how pastor and theologian Dallas Willard defines for us simply what the kingdom of God is. He writes this, God's own kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will where what God wants done is done. The kingdom of God is the reach of God's effective will. And if you go to the scriptures and you look at what they say, if you read from page one, Genesis one, all the way through to the end of Revelation, we see that as the story, don't we? 
It's at the core of the biblical narrative, the range of God's will and how it plays itself out with creation and specifically with us as his image bearers, right? It begins, God creates, God speaks and creates and he sees that it was good. God speaks and creates and sees that it was good. And through the week, this poetry of creation, we see a God creating and having dominion. And then he creates us. He creates humanity and he creates them in his image and invites them to have dominion. Not just to be his servants, but to be his partners to rule and reign in creation, to have dominion over it, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But we know through Genesis 3, it only takes a couple pages for everything to fall apart. Sin enters the world, death enters the world, the curse enters the world. And ever since then, what you see in the biblical narrative is this push and pull of God's will that his people would be reunited in relationship with him. You see him make covenants with people like Noah and Abraham, with groups of people like Israel. We see people try to fulfill those covenants and sometimes they do well, but most of the time they don't. This is the narrative of scripture. And as the story progresses, we see again and again, a God who is drawing people back to himself. See, what we need to understand is that the Hebrew people, the Jewish people who wrote the Old Testament, who believed the Old Testament, and who Jesus lived among, held in the Bible to a worldview, which is incredibly important that we understand. And that is that we live in time and that time is linear, right? And that may seem obvious to you, but, but have you ever thought about this? Where did time start and where is time going? Like regardless of your thoughts on creation or or whatever it may be, like why did the universe begin? Where is the universe headed? Is it just going out forever in absolute nothingness? Or is there a direction to the history of the world? Well, Well, Hebrew faith, the Old Testament, would point us to this reality. Yes, there is a God. And he created and he created with immense and beautiful purpose. And that yes, there is a plan, there is a purpose, there is a direction that human history, that all history is moving towards. We see that time has a beginning and ultimately will have a sort of end on what the Bible calls the day of the Lord, where God will come and reverse the effects of the fall and redeem all of humanity, will redeem all of history. It's not random The universe didn't just start by accident. The universe is not just headed in no particular direction. There is purpose to all things. And because history is headed towards a purpose, we can see different elements of what is and how is the kingdom playing itself out in the context of history. Many theologians point to three specific elements, three specific um, kind of themes that emerge in the story of God and his kingdom with his people. Firstly, we see the dwelling of God. The kingdom is the place where God dwells. We see that a king is present with his people. A king ought not to be far away, but rather is near. He is there. He is present. He is ruling. And what we see in the God who we looked at in the series we did in the book of Exodus and who we see in the person and work of the incarnational God who is Jesus Christ is that God has come to dwell with his people. In the words of the Old Testament, I will be their people and they, pardon me, I will be their God and they will be 
my people and they will dwell with me forever. Secondly, we see that in the kingdom there is dominion. There is a purpose to this kingdom. There is an authority that happens in this kingdom. There is intention to this kingdom, the way things that ought to be. Any kingdom may have rules and regulations because every kingdom has a vision of what life is meant to be. The reclamation of God's original intention for us to fill the earth, for us to be fruitful, for us to be a creative force in the world, to do something beautiful, to participate with God, as the Apostle Paul puts it, as co-heirs with Christ. And thirdly, we see that a kingdom is a dynasty. Kingdoms come and go. Rome came and went. The Mongolian Empire came and went. North America, Canada, USA will come and go. But the kingdom of God will go on forever. Isaiah 9 tells us when speaking about Jesus in a prophecy about the Messiah, says, of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is not a temporary kingdom. This is not a temporary future. This is not in question. God has and will ultimately win and has in the resurrection already won the battle against darkness, has already won the battle against Satan, has already won that battle. The resurrection demonstrates that Jesus is not only the rightful king, but that he will never be dethroned. This is the kingdom that Jesus is talking about when he proclaims in Mark chapter 1 that the kingdom of God is at hand. He means that the kingdom of God is breaking into the story of history. The range of God's effective will is expanding. The places in which God's will is done, the places in which God rules and reigns, the places in which God's purposes are being seen is breaking into the world because God has become flesh and now dwells among us in the language of John chapter one. And we see it in Jesus's ministry. What we don't see Jesus do is set up in Galilee, set up at home and say, I'm going to build a huge building. I'm going to tell people to come to me and then I'm going to tell them about what God is like and what they need to do and that kind of thing. No, we see Jesus go towards people, towards the world, towards the brokenness. And what we see is the kingdom, the rule and reign and power of Jesus breaking in. Here's how one author describes it. Jesus gives sight to the blind. That is the kingdom of God come near. Jesus comes causes the lame to walk. That is the kingdom of God come near. Jesus cleanses lepers. That is the kingdom of God come near. Jesus liberates those held captive by demonic powers. That is the kingdom of God come near. Jesus heals the sick. That is the kingdom of God. Jesus befriends befriends prostitutes and one of them washes his feet with her tears. That is the kingdom. Jesus calms the wind and the waves and has power over creation. That is the kingdom. Jesus multiplies fish and loaves to feed those who are hungry and hurting. That is the kingdom. Jesus champions the powerless. He stands in solidarity with the poor. That is the kingdom. Jesus unites people who the world would divide. Jesus calls women into his company. He grants them dignity in a culture that granted them none and entrusts them with the gospel message to go forward. Jesus had dinner with a corrupt tax collector. Jesus fills ordinary people with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus rises victorious over sin, Satan, and death. That is the kingdom of God. That is what it looks like when the kingdom of God breaks in. Jesus' miracles are not just to prove that God is powerful, 
They're to show that God's kingdom is breaking into our world. And what I want you to know today, wherever you're listening from, whatever you might be facing, is that the kingdom continues to do that very thing. The kingdom is already and not yet. Or in other words, it's, it's partial, it's partially complete, but not yet in its completion. Or, or in other language, it's visible in part. We can see where the kingdom has stepped in and done things, but not quite in whole. We see in our day, in our city, in our church, Jesus healing broken relationships. We see Jesus drawing people to, him, people to himself right here in this city at this moment. We see Jesus, the King of the kingdom, drawing people to know that he could be their savior, that he has died and risen again. We see people coming forward wanting to be baptized, people who have grown up right here in this church and people who have never stepped foot in a church before. We see people coming from different backgrounds, different stories, even different countries, coming to know that God loves them, experiencing the grace and power of Jesus from different experiences, from different struggles, with different abilities and different gifts. He is drawing us together that we might worship and grow together as a community. We see people struggling with addiction on the streets of a city like Maple Ridge being offered a warm meal in the presence of someone who loves them. We see women being invited into a community with our Petals ministry where they might experience love and care in a safe way. We see kids coming from all over our community, from different schools, from different backgrounds, with different baggage, coming here on a Wednesday night to hear the gospel and experience what real community actually look like. We hear stories, we get this all the time. We hear stories about people offering meals to one another, supporting one another, praying for one another, about small groups serving together. Every Wednesday night, I get to receive from a small group a meal made for our youth leaders. I get to watch the kingdom of God breaking in. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And so why wouldn't we pray for that? What could hold us back from that prayer? We want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see God's will be done. We want to pray this because God's kingdom is beautiful. It's redemptive. It's filled with hope and joy and healing of what is broken. This prayer is not a prayer of defeat. It's a prayer of victory. The kingdom may be already and not yet, but what we see is that the kingdom of God has broken in. What we see in the gospel is that there is victory because of Jesus that we can be more than conquerors because of him who loved us, that the kingdom of God is at work right here, right now, today. Isaiah 52, seven, beautiful verse, describes it this way. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. What is the gospel of the kingdom? The good news of the kingdom that Jesus has come to proclaim is that our God reigns and in his reign, he has given his son for our salvation that all can be made right, that everything that is broken can be made whole. And everyone, whether you're listening to this as a Christian or someone who's exploring or someone who's absolutely not sure about anything that we are saying, everyone longs for this, right? We all long for the end of pain. 
We all long for the end of sickness. We all long for the end of racism. We long for the end of things like school shootings that break our hearts and we don't know what to do with them. We long for someone to come, something to happen, something to occur, to deal with the evil and pain and suffering in the world. We cry with the psalmist, whether we mean to or not. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, before you do something about all that is broken in this world? We are all searching for the kingdom that is like the kingdom of God where sin is defeated. G.K. Chesterton has this to say, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. You might be looking in all the wrong places for a kingdom that can only be found in a God who brings that kingdom and it's Jesus. It is Jesus himself who says, the spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. Isn't that beautiful? That's who Jesus describes himself as. Now, when I talk to my friends or family or people I know in my life who don't know Jesus, nobody has an issue with that. Nobody has an issue of Jesus as someone who wants to bring good news, as someone who wants to bind up the brokenhearted, as someone who wants to proclaim liberty, as someone who wants to set people free. Everybody wants that. It doesn't matter what your faith position is. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter what you believe right now. Everybody wants to see that happen. So what's the problem? Well, the problem is when God's kingdom starts to push over the boundaries of my kingdom. You know, my kingdom, your kingdom, the space where you have your will done, the space where your kingdom can come. Um, My wife and I, we live in a basement suite rental and we love this rental. It's got these windows that the sun sets and it's beautiful. We've got this awesome patio. We have space. We get to host our small group. We love our place. Um, But part of um, our place is we have a little garden outside. We have all this space. It's all these kind of things. But part of the reality of renting a space in a neighborhood like the neighborhood that we live in is that we don't have a parking spot. Um, We we don't have a parking spot, which means we depend on street parking. Um, we're, We're able to do all sorts of things. Right? We can set up our house however we want. I can put frames up. I can do projects. I can hang things on the wall. I could paint if I wanted to. I could, I could do all sorts of stuff with the place that is ours. But when it comes to the parking, I don't have any control. You know, I pay a certain amount a month and I get my little kingdom. I get my one bedroom suite. I get my kitchen. I get my patio space. Man, I even get a little bit of a garden space. Man, I can set up my bar. I can do all those things. But once I get out to that street, man, my kingdom ends. The boundaries of my kingdom ends. And, and that's all well and good. I'm, I'm all good with that until somebody parks in the spot that I want. <laughs> until I have to park my car all the way down the hill and get my backpack out and get my lunch kit out and just lug myself up this hill back to my house. See, I have a kingdom that I want to be my kingdom and I'm all well and good with anybody else's kingdom until it messes with what I want to be mine. It's those kingdoms, your kingdom, my kingdom that gets in the way of God's kingdom and leads us to the very petition we are discussing today. Oh, how I want God's kingdom to come unless it messes with mine. Oh, how I want God's will to be done unless it challenges mine. 
As Mark Sayers, an author and cultural commentator, puts it, we want the kingdom without the king. We all want the kingdom, but how many of us really want the king that goes along with it? And that's why we need this prayer. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom done and your will be done. Because by nature, that requires letting go of my own kingdom and my own will. To pray your kingdom come means letting go of my own kingdom. To pray your will be done means letting go of my own will. To pray for these things is to stop chasing after the things that I desire. That's the second part of the prayer. Your will be done. Your will, God. And just like praying for God's kingdom to come, it means laying down our little crowns, our little kingdoms, the the walls that we've built up to prove that we are something. To pray that God's will is done is to move our personal will down the set of priorities to admit that God's will is better than ours. Because if we understand who God really is, if our hearts are positioned to believe in the first petition of the prayer, that God is our Father, that His name is glorious and beautiful and therefore worthy of being hallowed, that He is worthy of all praise, that he is beautiful, that he is good, that he is kind, then it only makes sense that the God who knows all things, who sees all things and has created all things, has a better will than I do. Has a better picture of what the kingdom of the world should look like than I do. If I look back at my prayer journals over the years, I don't know how many of you write your prayers. I get really distracted when I pray. So oftentimes I'll take a pencil and I have a, like a, a stack of moleskin journals that are now just filled with prayers from when I was like 18 years old all the way up to now. And I can look back on those prayers. And, and if I'm honest, the seasons where I felt the most dry in my faith, the seasons where I felt like I couldn't really see God, I, I wasn't able to understand what God was doing in my life, I, I, I felt disconnected from my faith. I can look back and I can see the kind of prayers I was praying. And oftentimes when I look at those seasons and I remember those times and I look back at those prayers, there's nothing wrong with those prayers, but you know what I was doing in those prayers? I was asking God for my kingdom to come. I was asking God for my will to be done. God, I want this job. God, I want this amount of money. God, I want to be able to go on this vacation. God, I want this level of leadership or this title. God, I want this thing to be worked out. God, I I want this problem that's in my life to just go away. And there's nothing wrong with praying those prayers. In fact, we're invited to bring our burdens to God and cast them on Him, trusting that He loves us. But have we ever considered that this prayer points us to the reality that oftentimes we don't even know what we should pray for? German theologian Helmut Thielich I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Says this, so often we pray for foolish things when what we need is totally different. We are naked. Instead of praying for clothing, we pray for bonbons. We are imprisoned by certain passions. Instead of praying for freedom, we pray for a Persian rug for our cell. So often we pray for senseless things that have no relation to our actual needs. And the reason that we do it is that we do not know the deepest wants and necessities of our life at all. But our God knows our needs. God knows our deepest desires that cannot be met with a bonbon or a rug. And if God really does know these things, then we can trust that as the Apostle Paul tells us, all things will work together for the good of those who love him. 
It stands to reason in a logical sense that God's will is the best possible outcome for our lives. Oftentimes we ask, I want to know what God's will is. What am I supposed to do? What job am I supposed to take? Should I make this purchase? Should I not make this purchase? Should I marry this person? Should I date this person? Should I move to this place? Should I go here? Should I go there? Should I sign up for this thing? What, what is God's will for all these kind of things? But as author Daryl Johnson in his book on the Lord's Prayer points out, we are asking God to do what only God can do. The prayer is not, let us do your will on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer is, Father, you do your will. Father, you bring about your kingdom. And Jesus doesn't just teach us this prayer, he lives it out himself. When he finds himself facing down his death on a Roman cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, here's what the Bible tells us. Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Did you catch that? Did you catch what Jesus is doing here? He's not avoiding or running away from the emotions that he's feeling. He says it. My soul is sorrowful. This is stressful. This is scary. This is not what I want to do. I'm stressed out. We we find that Jesus becomes so stressed out, he, he sweats blood. But what he is doing is bringing these things to the Father in prayer. He's holding them out and he's trusting that if God does his will, if the Father brings about his kingdom, if the Father does what he thinks is best, then that must be what is best. See, this prayer is not a prayer of resignation. It's a prayer of participation. Saying, God, we want your kingdom to come. God, we want your will to be done. It's a prayer that reforms and reshapes our hearts so that we might see what God is doing in the world. God, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. So let us see what that looks like. Because even though on one side of it, we may not clearly see what God is doing, we might look and go, this is not what I'd prefer. This is not what is comfortable. This is not what I dreamed for my life, but not as I will, but what you will, Father. We put our trust in God's character and we believe that whatever God's will may be, that is what is best. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 describes this exact process when it says this, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Do you see what he's saying there? God knows me. God knows what I need. God knows how I'm built. God knows my personality. God knows every hair on my head, which means God knows what is best for my life. God's will is the best possible outcome for me, but I can't fully see it right now. It's like a mirror that's dim. It's like trying to see something through fog. For those of you who wear glasses like me, it's the realization of not being able to quite see clearly the way you can when you have your glasses on. You might not know God's will for your life. You might right now be going through a terrible season in your life. You might be looking at your situation and thinking, God, why can't this cup pass from me? 
How could you allow this to happen to me? How could this be the situation that I'm in right now? How could you let something so heartbreaking happen to me or to someone that I love? How could this be God? But know that what God is doing in your life is something deeper and greater. And someday into the dynasty, the eternity of God's kingdom, we will be able to look and understand that all things somehow, some way, even in the midst of the brokenness, even in the midst of the pain, what we see through the cross is that the worst possible situation can somehow in God's power and God's grace bring about the best possible outcome. Here's how C.S. Lewis explains it. We are half-hearted creatures, he writes, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. My friend, God's kingdom is better than yours. It's more beautiful than yours. It's more joyful than yours. There's infinite joy. There's in the words of the psalmist, infinite pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Don't settle for bonbons and Persian rugs and mud pies and your idea of what the kingdom ought to look like. When Jesus began his ministry by announcing that the time had come, he's not just talking about a three-year period. Jesus is not simply talking about this this time when he was going to do ministry. I'm here, I'm showing up for a few years, I'm going to do my thing. Eventually the church will get going, people will believe the right stuff and we'll just carry on. See, there's two words in the Greek language for time, right? The first one is chronos, which is where we get the word chronological, right? And that's, and that's the time we understand. It's time that's measured by clocks and calendars, right? The line of time, that's what we talked about before. There, there's a chronology to the world. Time is moving on. Right now it's 2022. You're maybe listening to this on June 1st or June 5th or whenever the date may be when this sermon plays. We, we know the, the time that's measured by clocks and calendars, but that's not the word that Jesus uses here. The Greek word that Jesus uses here is kairos. Now, kairos is a moment that stands outside of time. Kairos is a special kind of time. Kairos is a unique moment God is using to fulfill his will. Kairos is a moment of divine opportunity. Jesus here is using the word kairos because his arrival marks that the whole cosmos has turned the corner from darkness to light. That his life, his ministry, and ultimately his death and resurrection marks the turning point, the hinge point of all of history. The kingdom of God is not far off. The presence of God is not far off. The power of God is not far off, but it has broken into our story. The kingdom of God has come near and it's moving. It's setting captives free. It's bringing justice to places of brokenness. It's healing that brokenness. It's healing the brokenness in our physical bodies and in our hearts. It's winning the war against sin, Satan, and death. It's creating beauty wherever it goes. It's redeeming the mess-ups, the fools, and the outcasts. To pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, is to ask God to do the work that only he can do. To look at all the brokenness, all the suffering in the world, and say, God, I want you to bring your kingdom there. 
to look at the pain and suffering in your life and the lives around you and the pain and suffering that you see on the news that we see is happening all over the world right now and say, God, I want your kingdom to come there. I want your will to be done there. And what's beautiful is that this prayer contains the location of where this happens. See, this is not a prayer of escape, but a prayer of um, renewal. This is not a prayer of escape, but a prayer of renewal. What we see and need to understand is that heaven breaks into earth. The goal of the Christian faith is not for us to escape earth and all its pain and all its suffering and to leave it behind and pretend like it's not there anymore. No, rather what we see in the book of Revelation as God describes the new heavens and the new earth is he says, behold, I am making all things new. All the pain and all the brokenness healed and made whole. Behold, I am making all things new. This is not hope to be rescued out of misery of earth and placed in a heavenly cloud to sit around for eternity. This is a hope for a God to redeem here and now. God moves toward brokenness. That is what the kingdom of God is about. We see that in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so we can see that in our prayers. The kingdom of God and the will of God through Jesus have broken into history beginning with the word made flesh who is Jesus, and now today carrying on through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us who follows Jesus. We pray for the kingdom to come and for the will to be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. In the places where God's kingdom is not ruling and reigning, we want it to rule and reign. In the places where we don't see the way that things ought to be, we want to see Jesus as the king over those places, bringing that healing, bringing that redemption, bringing that power. And where does that begin? With us, with you and with me. Thomas Hardy, the author, writes this, the main object of religion is not to get a man into heaven, but to get heaven into him. God desires that our lives would become the places in which his kingdom can and does come, that through us his will might be accomplished, that we might become who he has called us to be, that we might be free from our sin, that we might become ambassadors of the kingdom in which Jesus is the king. And so we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done across the world, knowing that God loves the world that we pray for. For God so loved the world, we pray then, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in Canada as it is in heaven, in British Columbia as it is in heaven, in Maple Ridge as it is in heaven, in my workplace as it is in heaven, in my family as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus, your kingdom come and your will be done, but start, Lord Jesus, with me. Lord Jesus, would your kingdom come and would your will be done in my life, in my heart, in the places I've set up many kingdoms, in the places I've fought to protect my will, in the places I've seated myself on the throne and called myself king. There, Lord Jesus, I want you to rule and reign. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you have the courage today to invite God for that to start with you? To not look at the world and go, look at all the brokenness out there. Look at how God needs to fix what's out there. But would you say, would you invite in your prayers today, God, your kingdom needs to come. Your will needs to be done in me. 
and in my neighborhood and in my family and in my relationships. And from that place, God, would your kingdom break into the world? Would we become ambassadors of people who carry the message of Jesus into Maple Ridge, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces? Only then do we see the kingdom of God break in in the way of Jesus. Not my kingdom, but yours, Jesus, be done. Not my will, but yours, Jesus, be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray that together. Father, we lay down our kingdoms. We lay down our wills and we invite you to be the king. We invite you, Lord Jesus, to take the rightful seat on the throne of our lives. Would you lead us today? Would you show us the way that we ought to go? Lord Jesus, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, would we not become numb to the depth and power of those words, but would you show us what you are doing in the world? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the kingdom work that is happening around us. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear the places where the kingdom is not? and give us the courage to bring the kingdom into those places. Would you, Holy Spirit, allow the kingdom of God to break in? We pray for that in Maple Ridge. We pray for that in our province. We pray for that in our country. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would begin with us. Would your kingdom come and your will be done in us? We invite you to that now, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you invite us to this prayer. We thank you that the kingdom of God has broken in. And we invite you, Lord Jesus, to do what only you can do. So it's in your name we pray. Amen.